I'd like to thank those who uh, invite me to uh, speak on uh, a topic that is uh, very close to my heart. I'm going to address the issue of social justice. Uh, what I say may or may not coincide with the views of Adra Australia, but I do acknowledge the generous uh, time they gave me off to uh, do some research for this paper. I do have a detailed paper, uh, which is uh, well footnoted, and I think that might be available at the end of uh, the lecture. I don't have time to cover all the points in that paper, uh, and so I'm just taking some of the highlights. These photographs I took in uh, February in Honiara at Burns Creek Settlement. Some of you will know it. It's right opposite the Solomon Islands Mission Compound. It's largely a Seventh-day Adventist shantytown and has all the problems of shantytowns of violence, unemployment and disaffected youth. The ladies here are involved in an innovative literacy class. Within seven days, they can read the Pigeon Bible in just seven days. But unfortunately, the photograph doesn't show one lady who's missing. This was the third day when I attended, and one lady was missing. She attended the first two days, and then her husband said she was prohibited from attending. You see, he couldn't read and he wasn't going to attend a woman's literacy class to learn to read, and he couldn't face the situation of his wife being able to read and him not. Injustice starts within families. These photographs are hot from my camera. I took these on Monday at the uh, May Lai uh, refugee camp on the border with Thailand and Burma. There are nine camps. This is the largest, some 50,000 people there. It's probably better known to Seventh-day Adventists as the camp that houses the Eden Valley School that Helen Hall operates, one of four different schools run by different groups in that uh, complex. Many, many sad stories we came across in the short time we had in this camp. One was of a little girl in the school, nine years of age, whose mother died. Um, we're not sure why she died or what she died. And then the father and children, about four siblings, decided they would make for the border. They were caught by the Burmese military, and then they were made to become minesweepers. That means they walk ahead of the military. And if they blow up a mine, then the military know not to proceed. The little girl walked on a mine, but uh, her body weight wasn't sufficient to set it off. And then her father walked on it, and it pretty well blew him to smithereens, and he died soon afterwards. This border issue is a protracted issue that goes back to just after World War II. It's the longest running conflict in the world and there are enormous injustices that are involved. Injustice of course occurs at a global level. This is the famous statistic of how many people live on less than one US dollar a day. If you can afford to buy one of these then you are in the top 5% of the world's people. You may not feel it, but uh, you are well off. And this map shows the numbers of people uh, and where they live in this distorted representation. And this we might call absolute wealth. It's the other extreme. Those who are earning at least 200 US dollars a day. And I would imagine that most of you, for those who uh, are working or those who have recently retired, you were earning at least that amount every day, even if you were working as a so-called poor church worker. Why is it we have one 
billion people on less than one US dollar a day, and a further one billion who are on less than two US dollars a day, a third of the world's people. Pastor Hills referred to the phrase social justice. Um, I found different websites. Uh, Social justice is there. Well, what do we mean by social justice? We don't just mean works of compassion. I want to move beyond that to a deeper level. We mean justice that's applied across society. Words like fairness, equality, righteousness or right-doing are all involved. Social justice is about speaking for the voiceless, for those who have been silenced by society and indeed for those who have been wronged by society. I'll use the term social engagement to be an umbrella term to refer to social uh, involvement, acts of charity, perhaps providing food parcels to hungry people in Morissette or running mission trips overseas. But also there is social justice where we are advocating for those who are not in a position to advocate for themselves. (coughs) It's not easy to uh, define social justice. Defining the Seventh-day Adventist Church is perhaps even more difficult. What do we mean by the Adventist Church? Do we mean the corporate church or do we mean the church members? Or do we mean the local church? If so, which local church? Which entity? At what level? The general conference, the divisions, the unions? It's a complex organisation. I don't have time to go into all those levels, and this morning I will talk solely at the level of the general conference. In my paper I do spend a little bit of time talking about the South Pacific Division. What I proceed, what I, what I propose to do this morning is to Uh, briefly analyse some of the printed evidence that uh, is available from the corporate church as to its position on social justice, and then briefly sketch a biblical framework for social engagement based largely on evangelical perspectives. And then finally I'll make a comment focusing on just two distinctive Adventist beliefs which I think reinforce the evangelical beliefs about the teaching of social justice. Back in 1998, Zach Plantak, who now teaches at Washington Adventist University in uh, Washington, D.C., turned his Ph.D. thesis from London University into this book, The Silent Church, Human Rights and Adventist Social Ethics. He traced the history of social justice from the early days of the Adventist Church in the second half of the 19th century, Uh, pretty well up until about the mid-1990s, although his focus was mainly on the uh, 19th century. The title of his book indicates his broad conclusions. He concluded that social justice issues in the church have only really ever been taken up, with one exception, when those issues have actually challenged the church itself. Things such as racism and gender discrimination. The one issue where the church did shine, particularly in the 19th century, was over the issue of slavery in North America. Well, what has happened since Zach's book was published in the late 1990s? Is the Seventh-day Adventist church still silent on these issues? 
Back in 1997, about the time his book was published, a group of General Conference officers and leaders of ADRA International, the headquarters of ADRA in Washington, had a a week-long symposium on mission and social action. They didn't present a final uh, paper, but in their concluding statements, they, they made many strong points about social justice. Notice just two of them here. The ministry of Jesus, therefore, fulfilled and validated the Old Testament understanding that ministries of compassion are as central to God's concern as witnessing and evangelism. Perhaps not a message we hear too often from the corporate church. They then went on to say, we conclude then that compassion ministries without a hidden agenda or ulterior motives represent a legitimate ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Exactly how significant the symposium was is a little difficult to trace, but it is interesting that in 2009, the mission statement of the General Conference was uh, modified, it was enlarged, and particularly the section called Our Methodology, and it was enlarged to four points. They make points about preaching, They make points about teaching. They then made a significant statement about healing, and we're dealing here with healing in in a a very broad um, context. They affirmed the biblical uh, principles of the well-being of the whole person. We make the preservation of health and healing of the sick a priority, and through our ministry to the poor and oppressed, cooperate with the Creator in his compassionate work of restoration. Since 1980, the General Conference has issued a number of official statements. These have generally been issued by uh, the executive of the General Conference or occasionally by the office of the president of the General Conference. They have not been uh, publicly endorsed by the General Conference in session. But nonetheless, these statements are quite significant, and I have discovered... 61 statements, of which 34 dealt with what we might call church issues, things to do with lifestyle, behavior, theology, and ecclesiology. 27 statements address social issues. And it's interesting when you look at this graph, and you'll see the years with an asterisk or the general conference session years, there's often been a spike in the number of statements that uh, have been issued. If you cannot read the fine print there, the uh, red bars are the ones that are statements about um, church interests, the very inward statements, and the blue bars are representing the number of statements uh, about social um, issues. What is even more surprising is when you track who was General Conference president at the time these statements were issued, and you'll see we have approximately 11 years there in each case. There were 18 statements, seven about social engagement under Neil C. Wilson's um, leadership, a staggering 27 of which half were about social engagement under Robert Falkenberg's leadership, which perhaps surprises many, certainly surprised me, but only a few uh, under the leadership of Jan Paulson, and I'll come back to Jan in uh, just a moment, 14 statements of which five were to do with issues of social justice. However, at this last general conference session, 
Now, there's a very strong biblically-based statement about global poverty. And uh, we don't have the space here to uh, duplicate it all. But that uh, document says, working to reduce poverty and hunger means more than showing sympathy for the poor. Adventists are generally good at showing sympathy for the poor. It means advocating for public policy that offers justice and fairness to the poor for their empowerment and human rights. Seventh-day Adventists partner with civil society, governments and others working together locally and globally to participate in God's work of establishing enduring justice in a broken world. It's probably the single strongest statement on social justice uh, that has been issued uh, from the General Conference. A very, very powerful statement. It's also very biblically based because social justice, at least from a Christian perspective, is biblical justice. It would seem that church perhaps is not quite as silent as it was in the days when uh, Zach Plantak did his research. Indeed, Monty Sarlin, who is a uh, church pastor in the US, quite well known as a commentator on social things, made a comment uh, at the General Conference session in his blog on this statement and said that some American Adventists may need to adjust their views to be in line with the Bible. And I would add perhaps many Australian Seventh-day Adventists as well. Jan Paulson was remarkable in the repeated and consistent message he sent about social engagement. Virtually every issue of Adventist World, he would have an article, and almost every time that article would be talking about Adventists getting out into the community, and in many cases his... uh, his um, argument was that we should be involved in social um, justice. Here are just two statements. One, uh, early on, uh, before he became president in 1988, there was a mission symposium held at New World College. There are vestiges of injustice, inequality, and deprivation in the world, expressions of the devil's work, which the church as community must expose and take part in discrediting. The evil which is alien to God's kingdom is under God's judgment. Concerns which are God's must, by definition, be the church's. As a church, we have not only the right, but the obligation to be a moral voice in society. Human rights, poverty, and injustice are some of the areas in which we have a God-given responsibility to advocate for those who cannot speak for themselves. Hopefully you are all aware of this logo. Can I just see the hands of those who are aware of the End It Now campaign? I won't embarrass you and ask whether you have signed, but this is a remarkable advocacy campaign jointly run by ADRA and the Women's Ministries departments from the General Conference down to the local conferences. It is a joint advocacy campaign to bring attention to the issue of women's rights. Not only domestic violence, but things like uh, sex trafficking of young girls and uh, female genital mutilation, which occurs in some parts of Africa. In a statement supporting this at the General Conference, a statement on um, uh, dedicating the church to uh, an anti-violence against women position, 
The statement says, we will speak out in defense of victims and survivors through teaching, preaching, Bible study, and advocacy programs. And I want you to know that word, advocacy. Despite this evidence that uh, I have briefly marshaled, there still seems to be some ambivalence in the church. It is interesting looking at our main church papers that come to us as church members that rarely are issues of social justice mentioned, often even social involvement in terms of compassion and charity are only occasionally referred to, and often it would seem the motive is to promote a public relations face to the wider world. I've done some analysis of Adventist World, the global edition of the Adventist Review that comes out once a month. 41 issues uh, I discovered on the web. And they have a column called Adventist World Window Into, and it will feature a particular country. This particular one here was featuring Rwanda. Of the 41 issues that are available on uh, the website, only 26 featured a developing country. And just as an aside, I find that very interesting because 90% of the church membership lives in the developing world. So the developing world has not thus far been given its due coverage. Very few members, less than 10%, live in places like Australia, New Zealand, Europe and the USA combined. Of those 26 that featured developing countries, only three mentioned the work of ADRA or indeed other social engagement an omission that seems particularly surprising when in many of those developing countries, ADRA was established well before the church was established. Mongolia is an example. I think further research is called to look at Adventist World, Adventist Review and Ministries, major flagship publications of the Adventist Church, and also the New Look Record here in the South Pacific Division, to see how they portray the broader mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's particularly interesting that in that uh, very well-known book called Bible Readings for the Home, which was written in the 19th century, there was initially a chapter on our duty to the poor, but sometime in the 20th century that chapter was cut out. And I think that probably reflects this ambivalence within the church. Are we solely about preaching, or is our mission, in fact, broader? Let me make a comment or two in regard to ADRA, the organisation for which I work. In uh, the last two or three years, the ADRA network has developed a new mission statement and identity statement. And this statement, and you'll see it reflected here, uh, it's the same for ADRA International as it is for ADRA Australia, reflects some of that ambivalence towards this whole issue of social justice. When in the first draft of the mission statement... They wanted to refer to justice, but it was deemed that that was too divisive. The church was not yet ready to have that word in a mission statement. And so they created a word. They created the word justness. It was very, very awkward. It didn't read well. Fortunately, compromising minds changed it eventually to just change, as you will see here. ADRA works with people in poverty and distress to create just and positive change through empowering partnerships and responsible action. 
You see, it's no good just providing compassion and charity, as important as that is, unless we look at some of the underlying causes as to why people suffer from injustice. So in summary on this section, it would seem that the corporate church hasn't been exactly silent since uh, Plantac's book was published in the late 90s. But there is this ambivalence between, on the one hand, these high-level statements that come from the General Conference and from uh, the previous General Conference president and other leaders of the church, on the one hand, and then what is actually reported in the popular media of the church. I haven't had time to look at uh, Hope Channel or 3ABN, but I suspect the story there is not even as positive as it is in the print media. It remains to be seen whether a strong voice for social justice from the top of the church continues to be heard with the changes of leadership that we have experienced recently. I'd like to turn now to look uh, briefly at a biblical framework, uh, very much based on uh, evangelical readings of the Bible. Some of you may be familiar with the Poverty and Justice Bible, uh, which was produced about two years ago by the Bible Society of the UK in conjunction with World Vision. What this Bible does is to highlight in that orange uh, colour all the texts in the Bible that deal with poverty and with wealth, with oppression and exploitation. There are some 2,030 verses. 2,030 verses. How have we missed it? We, like other Christians, have been known to build whole doctrines on less than 10 verses. In some cases, maybe one or two verses. And yet this is a teaching that infuses the whole of the Bible. Typically when you talk to other Christians about what Bible passages they might use to uh, um, provide a basis, a biblical basis for social engagement, they will talk about the Good Samaritan story in Luke chapter 10 and the injunction by Jesus at the end of that story to go do likewise. They may talk about the great commandment in Matthew 22 to love God and your neighbour as yourself. And they probably will refer to the parable of the judgment in Matthew 25 where the world's people are divided into the sheep and the goats. And the basis seems not to be doctrinal purity or which day of the week you keep, as important as those might be, but rather how we worked for those who are less fortunate than ourselves. There are many, many other texts, and I don't have time this morning, obviously, to go through 2,000 verses. But let me just highlight one particular passage that, to me, is absolutely foundational, and that is in the creation account. Seventh-day Adventists have a very high view of the creation story, at least as far as six days and 24 hours of time are concerned. But perhaps we don't have as high view of the human nature that is revealed there where humans have been made in the image of God. And although that image has been corroded by sin, we are called to start that process of restoration of that image. And that image involves the physical as much as the spiritual. It involves the spiritual as much as the physical. Evangelical Christians have drawn attention in recent years to the words in both the Old and the New Testament that are translated variously as righteousness or justice. It seems that you can translate the words either way. Older translations, like the King James, invariably use the word righteousness, whereas newer translations will often favour the word justice. Of course, in many respects, they mean exactly the same thing. 
Righteousness is about right doing. Justice is about right doing. But it is interesting to read some well-known verses in the Bible, for example, in the Beatitudes in uh, Matthew 5, and substitute the word justice for the word righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your justice surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. (coughs) Many evangelicals um, talk about the vertical and the horizontal relationships that are revealed in the Bible. The vertical relationship is our relationship with God, uh, predominantly an individualistic uh, relationship and about the grace that God has showered upon us all. But also and equally are the horizontal relationships, the relationships between us and those either side of us. It's not a case of either or, of one being more important than the other. It's a case of both and. E. Stanley Jones, who was a famous missionary uh, in the uh, middle part of the 20th century, in his book, The Unshakable Kingdom, made this statement that an individual gospel without a social gospel is a soul without a body. And a social gospel without an individual gospel is a body without a soul. One is a ghost, the other is a corpse. We need both. And the biblical teaching is quite clear. Just back up one. In the uh, 17th and 18th centuries, uh, particularly in England, evangelicals were associated with major social reforms. People like John Wesley, uh, Lord Shaftesbury, and of course William Wilberforce, and in the USA, Charles Finney. They both preached, but they also were involved in social justice issues. But sometime in the late 19th century and the early 20th century in the USA, there was a seismic shift, what one religious historian has called the Great Reversal. And from the early part of the 20th century, evangelicals in America and elsewhere in the world began to place an exclusive focus on soul winning. Somehow, Christianity was our escape ticket out of this world. And at the same time, the Catholic and liberal Protestants in the USA tended to shift in reaction in the opposite direction to what was solely a social gospel. And so we have the horizontal and the vertical being divorced by these different groups within Christendom. And probably because social justice became identified with Catholic and liberal Protestants, it has become difficult for Seventh-day Adventists and other conservative Christians to re-engage with issues of social justice. Here are some of the significant books of the 20th century on issues of biblical social justice. Uh, John Howder Yoda, Yoda uh, a Mennonite. And then Ron Sider's classic book, In an Age of Hunger, that was first published in 1977, I believe, and is still in print. And John Stott, sometime chaplain to the Queen of England, his issues facing Christians today. And both... Uh, Sider's book and Stott's book are in uh, multiple editions. And these writers, plus others, have been influential in bringing the evangelical world back 
to an integrated understanding of evangelism and social justice. This culminated in 1999 with the establishment of the MICA network, and particularly here in Australia, the MICA Challenge, of which ADRA is a member of this evangelical group. And this uh, call under the Micah Challenge takes the famous verse from Micah 6, verse 8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It neatly combines mission that is both on the horizontal plane and also on the vertical plane. I want to turn now very briefly uh, to look at two Adventist distinctive beliefs that I think reinforce and provide a solid biblical basis for South Adventist engagement in social justice. First of all, the concept of holism or wholeness or holistic nature of human beings. And I'm going to do this by a series of diagrams, uh, each diagram basically replicating the same essential features. We have the model of the Trinity, the three in one, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's quite clear from the Bible, um, and Adventists through Ellen White have put a lot of focus on this, particularly in her book, uh, Education, that the human being is made up of this internal triad of mind, body, and soul. It's not one, not the other, but all three that are integrated. And when we broaden out to the wider community, the community of God, myself, and others, we can see how those focus around that verse in Micah 6.8, a verse, by the way, that was um, repeated by Jesus in Matthew 23.23. The problem is that we, like other Christians, have tended to be unbalanced. Some of us have perhaps put an exclusive focus on the relationship between myself and God. And dare I say that one of the issues I have with contemporary music, and I don't want to enter that minefield today, but one of the issues with contemporary music in the Christian church is that it has this almost undue focus on myself and God, a privatized view of spiritual relationships. We could say, to use the old cliche, that this view of Christianity is so heavenly-minded it's of no earthly use. On the other hand, there are those of us who put the emphasis almost entirely on social justice and the relationships between myself and others, what has been referred to as the social gospel. And using a similar clichéd statement, we could say that these people are so earthly-minded they're of no heavenly use. Clearly what we need is a balance between those two. The second distinctive Adventist teaching I want to refer to is that of the Sabbath, which is core to our identity, where there are such broad layers of meaning that have often been lost by Seventh-day Adventists with our concern for establishing the seventh-dayness of the Sabbath. Um, it's interesting if you do a Google search of Seventh-day Adventists and the Sabbath, what you come up with, nearly every reference is about a defense or an apologetic for the seventh dayness. There is very little about the significance of the Sabbath. Some of you will be aware of Tomstadt's book, the Norwegian uh, theologian at Loma Linda University, which is about the hidden meaning of the seventh day, and he unpacks some of this. The, seventh, uh, the fourth commandment about the Sabbath 
is actually the link between the first three commandments, which focus on our relationship with God, our vertical relationship, and the last six commandments that focus on our relationship with other people. Sometimes we see the Ten Commandments divided into two sections, but in fact there are three, and the Sabbath is the link. It is the link between our theology, our belief about God, and our ethics or our behavior between individual people. There are strong social justice implications in the Sabbath command. Families, workers, migrants, livestock were all to rest. Some of you will be aware of the movement for animal liberation. Well, actually, it's embedded in the fourth commandment because your livestock and your beasts of burden were to have a day of rest. They were not to be exploited every day of the week. It is clear from the Sabbath command, again, that humans are made in the image of God. There is a certain um, equality there. It's the one day of the week when we are all equal and there is no status, no differentiation between us. The Sabbath is about release from slavery. If you read the second version of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, there's nothing said about creation, something that's conveniently forgotten by many Adventists, but it's about liberation from slavery. And the Sabbath is about all people. It's about inclusivity, just as it was modelled by Jesus. But the Sabbath has further layers. If you go into the Old Testament, you'll find there's reference to the sabbatical year, one year in seven, and then the jubilee year, one year in 50. And in summary, in the sabbatical year and the jubilee year, the land was to be rested. This had great ecological significance, which our current contemporary society would be wise to uh, examine. Debts were cancelled and slaves were freed. For those who have studied Economics 101 at Avondale or elsewhere, you will know that those three are about the three um, foundations of all economic systems, land, capital, and labor. And it's interesting that these are embedded in the different layers of the Sabbath. In fact, there's very little in the Sabbath command that talks about our relationship with God. It's primarily about our relationship with other people. The Sabbath, as Tom Stadt says, is an expression of God's conscience. And the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, should be a reminder to all of us as Seventh-day Adventists that God is intensely interested in issues of social justice. Let me conclude. There seems to be ambivalence within our church about the significance of social justice in the broader mission of the church. It seems that Seventh-day Adventists, like the wider evangelical world, have also had their great reversal, forgetting the social justice record of our church in the late 19th century. So is the Seventh-day Adventist church yet ready for social justice and a fuller understanding as to what constitutes its mission? Well, maybe, just maybe. There was a fascinating little article by Cliff Goldstein, a thought leader in the church, but perhaps not one readily identified with the, um, the academics of the church. In this little article that was reproduced in the record last year, he reflected on a visit uh, to Pune in India, where he was confronted by a young boy who wanted to become a shoeshine boy and needed about $15 US equivalent to establish his own business. And Cliff Goldstein made this comment. He said, we need to preach the gospel 
We have a message to give to the world that no one else is giving. I know all that. I've dedicated my life to all that. Yet the image of the child saying, please, the 500 rupees will change my life, showed me clearly, however necessary all that is, it isn't enough. Will the church's institutions more fully accept the biblical view of justice? I believe there's an important role for Avondale College as it's is the training ground for ministers and teachers in our church, the thought shapers of the church of tomorrow. And perhaps that needs to be more fully integrated into the curricula of both the teachers and the ministers here. Because as Cliff says, however necessary all that preaching is on the distinctives of the Seventh-day Adventist church, it isn't enough. <coughs> 